The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Greetings, my friends. Welcome to episode 142 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Hey, this week we have a very lovely guest coming to us from Canada in Nina Montiano. Uh, she is bringing to us her eco-fiction novel, A Diary in the Age of Water, which is, again, just a lovely book, and you will you will not believe the magical and hypnotic reading that she is going to do, so make sure you are staying tuned for that, because it is so incredible. Along the way, we're going to be discussing her career as a limnologist, and what is a limnologist. Uh, we talk about the the creator's wavelengths and uh, how how they can tune into things. You know, the, our antennas are are set up to pull in uh, signals from the universe and and put that down to paper or, or into ink or you know into paint or even song, uh, which was a fascinating conversation. Uh, we also discuss uh, the environment as a character, uh, character flaws. And uh, so many other wonderful uh, serendipitous things, which was also a subject that we talked about. So it, it's a great conversation and one you're going to absolutely adore. Uh, you're going to love hearing all about uh, Nina. And, and I invite you to stick around here a few more minutes so that way you can hear that, uh, that wonderful interview and incredible chapter reading. On a personal note for the show, I do, want, I do have some uh, pretty exciting news. The InspiredInfluencers.com has listed this show in their author section, <laughs> which, which means they consider our show an influencer. Uh, if you want to know about authors and uh, their lives and be inspired by their lives and, and, and stories, then this is the show to go to. And I can't agree more. You know, <laughs> I, I was really blessed and, uh, you know, so humbled to hear that they uh, that they selected my show, that they selected the Sample Chapter podcast for their listings, and uh, gosh, that's just been incredible. And you know the reactions on social media. I, I was sharing it late last week and uh, throughout the weekend as I found out about it, and reaction has just been incredible. And thank you so much to everybody for believing in this show and making it what it is, because without the these incredible authors who come on and the people like yourselves who are listening right now, you know, that, that's, uh, that's what makes this show work. And, uh, I owe it all to you. Thank you so much. Hey, make sure you are following the show on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as just the sample chapter podcast. Very easy to find. We're also on all podcast platforms. Although right now, uh, admittedly there is a current issue with, uh, YouTube from my provider, there's some kind of a broken link happening. So last week's ep episode 141 is not uploaded right now. And, and as I'm recording this, I don't know if this will go up on YouTube. So I'm, I've been doing a little bit of a combination of trying to discover what do I need to do to either directly upload uh, the episodes myself or hopefully, you know, they get this figured out and the, uh, the new episodes will go up to YouTube. But nevertheless... Everywhere else you go, um, Amazon Music, iTunes, 
Stitcher, Spotify, every everywhere you go for podcasts, that's where you're going to find this show as well. And of course, you can always go to samplechapterpodcast.com and see the uh, the entire listing of uh, of back shows, which is pretty cool, I have to admit. I go in there quite frequently myself. If you'd like to contact the show, you can do so through email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. Drop me a line and let me know if you're interested in coming on. Uh, or, of course, you can also give me a voicemail by calling 660-851-1146. Leave me a voicemail and uh, perhaps I'm going to play that on the next episode. Hey, don't forget to check out my sponsor, Scribner. As I always say, they are my favorite writing software and I use them every day with my writing. I had a getaway for the weekend. I left Friday last week and was gone for the weekend for a wedding out of town that my wife and I went away for. And I brought along my little uh, pad so that I could open it up, write to Scrivener, and get to work. No missed work, no missed opportunities, and uh, it's all right there in Scrivener. Check out this advertisement for them, and make sure you are listening for the coupon code so that you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Yes, thank you so much to Scrivener. Uh, I also want to thank my, uh, my friends at the Pop Goes the Culture Network, one of our networks that we are a part of, and uh, so thrilled to be with them still. They are the go-to location for anything pop culture, uh, geek news. Uh, I always feel weird saying geek news, but I mean, I know that's like a term. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, I geek out over things, too. Um, but yeah, you know, anything pop culture, anything movies and TV related, it's all there. Uh, with uh, Like I said, with 10 different shows. Uh, including their flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast, which airs live Thursday nights. You can actually log in. Uh, you can go to the website, click the link in the show notes and for where to go, and uh, you can actually interact with them and uh, leave them messages. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and I invite you to uh, check that out. So once again, that is popgoesculture.com. And finally, I want to thank my other podcast network that we're so happy to be a part of, which is Project Entertainment Network. Home to more than 35 different shows. They they truly run the gambit <laughs> with variety. Uh, everything from writing to horror movies to monsters to uh, opinions, faith-based podcasts. Uh, it's all there. They have it all. 
Uh, incredible, incredible shows, uh, much like this one that you're about to hear. Hello, is anybody out there? Anybody. This is Jim Cobb. If you're hearing this, the worst has happened. I've recorded a podcast at the end of the world and we'll broadcast it on channel PEN every Friday. It's all about the apocalypse, books, movies, TV, how much food and water will you need your bunker, all that kind of stuff. Excuse me, sir. You're going to have to keep the noise down. You're in a library and you're scaring the kids. The world hasn't ended yet. Sorry, ma'am. Shh, you're in the library at the end of the world with host Jim Cobb. Fridays exclusively on Project Entertainment Network. I love it. I love it. I invite you to click that link in the show notes and go check out the Project Entertainment Network for all of those shows, just like the one you heard. And uh, at least give them a try, you know. Go in there, find a few shows, and give them a try, because I think you're going to find something that you're going to like. Well, hey, without further ado, it is time to get on over to our interview with the lovely Nina Montiano. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to an exciting new episode. This week, we are hitting the woods of Canada once again, talking with Nina Montano. Nina is a limnologist, an editor and teacher with the University of Toronto. She's an award-winning author of over a dozen books in the speculative fiction, sci-fi, and eco-fiction realms. She also offers a slew of writer help books and comes to us today with her latest eco-fiction, A Diary in the Age of Water. Nina, welcome to the show. Happy to be there, Jason. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm, I'm so glad to that you reached out to me and this is a, a first for the show to have eco-fiction, which I think I know what this is. And maybe you could argue that there's been other books, but this is the first time anybody's ever said eco-fiction on the book. So I'm excited. Oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm the first. <laughs> oh, I'm certainly not the first, though. There's a lot of eco-fiction out there. It's just that uh, a number of them haven't labeled themselves such or been labeled that okay. way. Some are labeled maybe climate fiction. A lot of them are in the realm of speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff, for instance, like uh, Margaret Atwood, a fellow Canadian author, who's written a number of wonderful speculative fiction books. And some of them could, could be under eco-fiction. And there's so many others that are in, in the literary fiction area. And it's, it's really a brand that I think is used by a number of different people in different ways. And I just happen to use it on mine. Yeah. Well, I like that though. It's, it's, you know, anytime you can find a way to make the book stand out, mm -hmm. I think it's a good way to go. That's, that's a, a great way to uh, carve that niche out in, uh, in your own territory. And, and to better define it, it's, I mean, eco is short for ecology in this case. And it's really books where, or stories where the environment plays a major role. In fact, you could almost say the environment is a character. And Ooh. that's that brings it up to a whole other level, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's a major character, it's part of the premise. If you pulled that part out of the story, you wouldn't have a story. So it, the environment plays a major role in that story, um, generating what's going on with the characters. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I want to uh, check in with you first and make sure that you are uh, healthy and doing well amidst the pandemic and, and staying safe. Thank you. I, I am, and hopefully your family and your friends are as well. Uh, I, I'm blessed with where I am right now. I'm living in a little area, a little community north of Toronto. That's where I'm coming to you from. Mm. And um, in the bush almost. And <laughs> it's, it's, we're, we're kind of isolated, but I kind of like it that way. It's a really friendly community, but we're doing all the right things, uh, keeping separated and stuff, but still, still being friendly. I'm, I'm right in nature here. I can go for walks for, for a long time, hours, and be in the forest by a river and that sort of thing. So I'm not bored at all. Absolutely <laughs> not bored, even though I'm kind of isolated. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I'm mm. I'm in the woods here in Missouri and I have a little lake not too far away. But oh, my that's my nice. problem is if I take a break and I go like say go fishing for a little bit to kind of clear my head then that little break becomes 30 minutes and then an hour <laughs> and then 2 hours and <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm on one big break. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. so true. It's so true. And then my wife wants to know what I've done with my time all day. Yeah. I should have been working on yeah. <laughs> editing then, or something. But then but then you bring back a fish, don't you? I, well, I I probably should, but I I let then them it'd be go. Okay. Yeah, they were too oh, big. Oh, you let them go. Yeah, they all were just right. too big to to just take home. And, yeah, right. yeah, that's that's the reason. <laughs> I'm definitely a storyteller, so that's, that <laughs> yes, makes me a good are. fisherman. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one of the titles that you hold that caught my attention is limnologist, and I am I'm interested to hear what that is. Basically, it's someone who studies freshwater, but it's a little more than that because there are other terms people hear, hydrologist or aquatic ecologist or water scientist. A limnologist is really someone, a scientist who takes into account all the different disciplines of science to do with water. So the chemistry of water, the physics of water, and the biology of water. And we even look at the watershed because the watershed, the land use, and what's going on around a lake or any kind of water body, because they will impact what's going on with the water. So we're, we incorporate, a limnologist incorporates ecology, all those disciplines, chemistry, physics, and land use, and geography, and geology, and just about everything. And then we put it all together and we look at what's going on with the water. So it's a, it's a very holistic kind of science and pursuit. Okay. Well, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I've been using it as an environmental consultant for the past 20 years. I used to work for uh, several consulting firms and I would go zooming around lakes and, and rivers and do water quality assessments, look at the biology, put things together to answer perplexing questions of pollution or impacts or things like that that are going on. And I would use what I learned in limnology, in the science of limnology, to, to make recommendations to first assess what's going on, almost like a doctor. It's like a doctor of water, a water doctor. And um, then make recommendations as to what should be done. Usually it's some area of management. Okay. And, uh, yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So I get to I get to go out into the field. 
I get to go in the lab and then I get to go in the office and work up my reports and work with stats and figures and stuff. So it's, it's a neat kind of job in that you're not kind of pigeonholed in one particular area. Mm-hmm. And that, that's me. I don't like to be pigeonholed. So <laughs> it, it works for me. <laughs> well, I would say not looking over your library. Of, uh, ah. You've got quite the diverse collection of books that you've got uh, going over. You get the, with the speculative fiction, like uh, Darwin's Paradox, and then the sci-fi with Outer Diverse. Yeah. Uh, quite the... Uh, the Space adventure. That's a space adventure. A space adventure. Crazy. Oh yeah. my gosh. Crazy you, heroin. <laughs> well, I, you know what, while we're on it, tell us about this, uh, the, the Splintered Universe trilogy. Oh, that was so fun to write. That's, 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 to me, that's the first thing. If, if it's fun to write, then it's going to be fun to read. <laughs> and um, it, it's this crazy lady, Rhea Hawk, who is a, a galactic enforcer, and she she has a problem because she works. She's the only human on a alien force of these giant Eosians who are the police force of the galaxy. And she's a, a little midget and she, and she has this one little problem. She, she's prejudiced. She hates, hates them for there's a, there's backstory to that. There's a reason why. Mm-hmm. So she's, she works for a, a force of people that she hates. So that's problem. Number one, it sets up all kinds of problems for her. She's, She's a really smart lady, but she's got a chip on her shoulder and she makes a lot of crazy mistakes. So it's, it's a bit of, it's, it's not a comedy series but at all. It is adventure and it's a thriller and she's off to, you know, solve some mysteries. But she herself is a flawed character in a, I would think, kind of a wonderful way. You kind of, <laughs> I don't know. She has this hard, crusty exterior that she doesn't let anyone get in. And partly because she's this puny human and a force of, you know, et cetera. And she's had a certain history. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fast paced adventure where she's, you know, trying to solve a problem. And of course, by doing that, she creates other problems for herself and et cetera. But it's, it's a wonderful journey. I really enjoyed writing it. I think, uh, and I know readers have, have loved reading it. I've had a, actually a lot of people, say it should be a movie or a series or a TV series, which would be just oh. great. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. That's, that's, that's high praise. That's great to hear too. I, mm, I love it you. whenever, uh, whenever you get some, some praise like that. My, my first book, people said it should be like a, a B movie horror, but oh, know, see? I'll, yeah. I'll, take, I'll take that. That's fine. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I think that's high praise because that means they visualized it and they, they want to, they want to see it. They want to, you know, They've immersed themselves in it. Yes, that, absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But I, I love the idea of taking, you know, you, you got your heroine and that she is flawed and, yeah. and has these, these well, like you said, uh, some prejudices and other issues. And it makes it so rich for the reader because then your emotions are swaying one way and the other way and trying to, you, you, you don't like what they're doing, but yet you're rooting for them. And that's... Ex- Exactly. That's so, so the reader's going, you, you dummy, what are you doing that for? <laughs> Don't you see? Don't you yes. see? <laughs> oh my gosh. And you've got, you know, you've got them, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it makes it, like you said, it makes it fun to write. And when they're fun to write, then uh, yeah, you're going to, you're going to definitely capture the reader's attention. Yeah. 
Yeah. And in fact, the diarist in A Diary in the Age of Water, to go to that book, um, is, is flawed as well in that way. She's actually, again, someone who makes mistakes, but in a different way. It's much more complex. But okay. yeah, it's, it's fun to, to, to make your, your main hero uh, human, essentially, right? With, with flaws and things that they need to overcome. And readers, I think, will so, certainly far more connect with someone like that than they will with, you know, your cardboard cut out Superman type person, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. That or the, uh, I guess the other terms are like the Mary Sue who can just do anything. And oh, of course. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it still Mary Sue or is there another I don't know. That's the most recent one. I, yeah, that's the is most it? recent one okay. I've heard because of uh, Star Wars. Uh, the, oh, the latest trilogy. So they were like, oh, no, she's, she's such a Mary Sue. She can do anything. Right. Of course, they tried to explain it away later. But right. unfortunately, I think the term stuck. I don't think it worked well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, you, you've got the right idea because you, you, you make it a journey so that you can see the character growing and learning. And uh, it makes it uh, a richer environment for the reader yeah. and, and yourself. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, I think all readers like that. I, I teach a science fiction writing course at U of T and at uh, George Brown University, uh, sorry, George Brown College. And that's one of the things that I stress is the journey of the protagonist and other protagonists. I mean, it could be several of them and how, how they change over time and how that change in that journey is related to something that they need to either overcome or learn or whatever it is, usually it's about themselves. So there's this internal conflict going on inside them and it's somehow connected to the external conflict. Usually there's a kind of a mirror thing going on and that's why the premise is related to the theme of the, of the story. And so we go through this and it's, it's actually a workshop type uh, course. So everyone brings in their, their stories and they we work through what's 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 that person's journey what's their you know hermatia what's their their big problem and blah 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 what do they have to do to change and then next thing you know they have these moments these these amazing eureka moments and they go i know this about my character blah 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 they can put it all together and they click 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 it's almost like it's almost like I'm a chiropractor with, you know, with fixing the spine and just click, <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> Next thing you know, the person can walk again, you know, it's that sort of thing. It's just so wonderful. I love doing that. Oh, I love that description. I never thought of it like that before. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> I'm gonna have to tell my wife. She was just at the chiropractor yesterday. Oh, was she? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell her I wish her well. <laughs> Oh my goodness! So and you've uh, so you've got that uh, the space story, and then you have uh, these other stories like the Last Summoner, uh, which is uh, like a fantasy or alternate history sort yeah. of thing. Oh, that was even more fun to write. No, maybe no, maybe not. Maybe as fun to write. But anyway, <laughs> it's um, and that one came to me partially in a dream. Oh. And then it uh, was uh, actually the main, the main starting point. I love the, the way my stories come to me because they'll come not so much as a formed idea necessarily, but as an image or some other kind of prompt. And in this one, it was 
actually a painting by a fellow, uh, an artist out of, um, I forget where, where he's from, <laughs> but awesome artist, awesome artist that I saw his website. In fact, he's the artist. Uh, his name is, his last name is Tykulin. He's the artist who did the artwork for my book, Darwin's Paradox, which is a gorgeous piece of work for, oh, gosh, for, the, yes, uh, for the publisher there, the, the um, Dragon Moon Press had, had found him. Hmm and to do that artwork. So I went on his website and I saw this other thing, this gorgeous image of a, a, a knight standing in a drowned cathedral, all old and full of water, it's like a swamp, and, but, but you can see the cathedral walls above and the light shining down at an angle. And he's looking up with a sword in his hand and, he's go, and you can tell he's going, what, you know, there's this big question in his, in his or her mind. And I took that image and I wrapped a whole story around it. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. That is so cool. It, it becomes a dream that links the heroine with another character who becomes the love of her life. And they both share the same dream. But in each other's dreams, they are the night and the, and and the other person is, I suppose, the light or whatever. Um, it, I can't remember exactly, but but there's this mirrored sort of thing going on. And so that was the first spark. And then the second spark was I ran across some after doing research. I don't know if you do this with your work. I'm sure you do. Every writer does it. You're looking something up for one book or one article or something, and <laughs> you you know where I'm going with this. I know where you're you find, going. <laughs> you, you find something else and you go, wow, is that ever cool? You do the Bill and Ted's thing. And, wow. <laughs> and, and, and then you're, you're off. And being a good writer and a good researcher, you go with it. You don't say, oh, I'm not working on that. I'm working on this. You follow your whatever it is, right? Serendipity, mm -hmm. if, you, if you will. And it is serendipity. So I discovered in my serendipitous moment I can't remember the initial research I was doing, obviously, but I chanced upon this bizarre battle. It's called the Battle of Grunwald that became the deciding battle where the Polish and the Lithuanians actually beat this massive force, this incredible force of the Teutonic Knights who were literally ruling the North, uh, Northern Europe at the time. And you have to understand, during that time, knights, one knight represented hundreds of, of other people, right, of, of warriors. One knight, because he was capable of doing so much. And these were peasants, Polish and Lithuanian peasants, and they beat the crap, oh, excuse the language. Anyway, they, <laughs> they, they beat the knights, which was incredible. Uh, it was unprecedented. They, they beat them. And, and because of that, we now have Poland and Lithuania, as opposed to some kind of Teuton Teutonic empire, which in fact, presumably predated uh, Germany. Anyway, wow. to go back to my premise, so I took that and I took the other thing and I created this story around a premise, a ridiculous premise. What if someone could change history, what if the Teutonic Knights did 
win that battle, what would have happened? And I projected to the future that Nazi, the Nazism would have taken over 100 years earlier mm. and all of Europe would have been under this kind of uh, Nazi control because the, the, there, there's reasons for that. There's precedence. Uh, I'm not just pulling things out of the air. I did a lot of research into the historical connections. Mm-hmm. And indeed, the Teutonic Knights did represent that kind of Sonderweg that, was, that predated the Nazism, if you will, the exclusionary, you know, right. uh, Mein Kampf type of stuff. So, so enter in the heroine who can change history, and I won't go into how she can do it. And she's that knight, and she has a choice to make, and it's all about choices. That book is all about choices and alternative histories. So it's a, it was my way of playing with different scenarios of history. And I, I picked up this awesome book that was all about premises and history. What if? It was all about, in fact, I think it was even called What If? It was all written by historians about their little favorite spot in history. What if, you know, what if Hitler had been shot by so-and-so? What if, you know, such and such had made that decision in Dieppe uh, to change the First World War? What if, uh, what's his name, Wilhelm II, the last emperor? didn't uh, didn't uh, get born with a crink- wrinkled up arm, which made him a, a so-and-so. <laughs> 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 uh, all these different things in, in, in history that could have been changed or prevented by someone changing their mind or someone getting there on time or whatever it is. And then they would project that what if. So they were li- literally creating all these supposed premises and, you know, alternative histories. So I, I played with, a couple that were related to what I was stringing together. That was a lot of fun. Oh Playing God. with history, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a challenge. And it's, um, I know, I think I was bold in doing it, but I think I got away with it, which was great. But I, <laughs> it's, I supported it with a lot of re- extra research. So wow, I'm very proud of that book. <laughs> well, and I, I have to add to that, that uh, sometimes the research doesn't even come from searching online it comes from uh well like for now for example an interview because things that you said struck a nerve with me on a story idea i had 22 years ago that i was mapping out and then i went nowhere with it and all of a sudden you said some things that were like oh my gosh that's how that'll be fixed (laughs) no way really that's that's freaking awesome i have been scribbling down little things and yeah i'm adding your book to my wish list so that way i can (laughs) <laughs> Look into this some more because, yeah, I suddenly know how to, how I'm going to work on another story um, down the road. <laughs> but that's, Oh, that's excellent. Oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> that's, that, that's it. That's, that's exciting. I, I just love serendipity that way. It, you know, everything seems to align in certain ways the way they need to. Don't you find that sometimes? I love when that. You're, yes. You know, you're working on plotting or something like that and you just can't figure it out. You just, in fact, I had that issue with my latest book that I'm working on right now, which actually is a sequel to A Diary in the Age of Water. And I just couldn't work it out, couldn't, and I, and I went, uh, finally, I guess, I finally succumbed to what I would call writer's block, right? Up to that point, I've never admit that I had it. 
but I got out of it easily enough because I just let it go and went and did other things and did things that are, you know, harmonious in my life. I mean, this is, we're talking COVID, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) we're restricted here with COVID, right? In terms of what we can do to get our brains going and uh, inspire us, you know, like going to the museum or going to an art show or, or watching movies and all those kind of things that typically help people. And what I ended up doing was a friend of mine where I used to go every summer and I, I've stopped traveling too. I don't know if everybody's doing that, but I wasn't able to go there this summer because of COVID. And that's where I, found a kind of environment to write again i don't know if you find that you must you have certain places that are better for your writing than others mm-hmm. and, and uh um, situations like one of mine is is work is writing in a cafe so that went out the window <laughs> anyway so i couldn't go to my friend's place because that was in bc and i was here in ontario and that's where i would just write like crazy so she said she she opened up, we were right, we were on Skype and she said, well, look, look, I'll put, set up the computer here. So, and we'll pretend that you're sitting here. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't the same as you, as you know, yeah. I mean, good grief, <laughs> but some, somehow that broke the spell. I mean, I, and I was there and, and I suddenly had all these cool thoughts. And of course, she helped because she's a really cool person that way with, you know, asking the right questions. And I just broke through and the whole thing, just, just like a river breaking through a dam. And, and I haven't had a problem with coming up with ideas since. Isn't that a crazy story? Oh but anyway, it, so it's when you, I think when you let go and you just pursue enjoyment or whatever it is that, that feeds your soul, it also feeds your muse. and then. It's yeah, it's quite neat when that happens. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I just love those moments when something just out of the the ether, out of the universe, whatever, and it's just somebody just says something in passing, and I just look at them. I'm going, why would you say that? Because it's like that was the one thing I was waiting for that made that click in my head, oh, and it's just like yeah. now the yeah. the things are connecting and the electrons are firing in my head and it's like i i know what i'm doing now it's like there yeah. it is and it's yeah. crazy how it works out i mean i know and maybe maybe all of us writers we're all really transistors or something and we're, we're just walking <laughs> around waiting you know uh, with our aerials with our is that what you call them aerials reaching out for those those wavelengths of of information or whatever it is that we need or inspiration and connection that's out there. I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of like Jung's creative consciousness or unconsciousness. That's that and literally enveloping the planet. There's a, there's a word for it. Can't recall what it is. An almost physicality to it where it's, it's part of the air that we breathe and, and, Okay, people are going to go, woo-woo, she's going woo-woo now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I mean, we all, we're all creatures of frequency and vibration, right? I mean, Einstein said that much. And, yeah. And being akin to that or, or sensitive to that, and everyone has different sensitivities, 
depending in, on how connected we are to our senses, can, can really feel that. And perhaps I would like to suggest that all artists are more connected that way and more sensitive to, to those wavelengths that are coming at us and, and we're sending out. And truly, in some level, we are bringing those toward us, toward us. Uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. allows and us to see more. Yeah, you, you call it the either the writer's wavelength or the creator's wavelength. It's it seems to be something that you know because yeah, the creators see things in a different way, yeah. and then um, transcribe that into their art, whatever that may be. Definitely. So, I, I yeah, I believe that. Well, I I wanted to make sure and just touch real fast, uh, let everybody know that, like I said, you do have a. a, a big collection of writer help guides that people really need to check out. And uh, there's also a, uh, oh, and then you have an anthology that came out in the last year, Building Bridges, that looks really, really yes. interesting. And it's a, yeah. I think it'd be a great thing right now. Stories that unite us and inspire us, no matter the language or country of origin, which looks really incredible. And uh, I think people definitely yeah. need to check that out. But I know we're kind of under a time strain here. So let's hear about your latest book a diary in the age of water yeah well it's a essentially journey of four generations of women who have a unique relationship to water it's mm. uh, over a time of extreme change i'm talking climate change and and water shortage particularly so the book spans 40 years it starts in the 2020s and goes into the 2060s and actually into the far future where it actually begins. And I'm going to read from a little bit of that. So the, the bulk of it is actually the diary of a limnologist. And it's found by a future water being. So that's how it's nested in. Oh. So during the diarist's lifetime, all kinds of things to do with water are overseen and controlled by the International Water Utility, Canada Corp, which actually isn't has nothing to do with Canada. <laughs> That's just my little <laughs> irony there. <laughs> so it's, this is a world in which China owns America and America in turn owns Canada. Uh, not outlandish as it turns out. <laughs> so, so like I said, the, most of the story is the diarist who studies fresh water and she witnesses and suffers from severe water taxes, imposed restrictions. There's dark intrigue through neighborhood water betrayals corporate spying and espionage and repression of her scientific freedoms. Some people die, others disappear. <laughs> so uh -huh. it's sort of that. Lots of yeah. intrigue. Yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> this is fascinating. And I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that uh, your career as a, a limnologist came into play here. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> did. Now, I have to say right up front, I am not that limnologist, <laughs> the one who's writing the diary. I'm not that person, even though I wrote this book, right? So that's being <laughs> silly. So obviously I'm her, but um, I'm also the other characters, her daughter, Hildy, and her daughter, and then of course the diarist's mother. So I'm all those people. I mean, let's face it, the author is all those people. But yeah, we. Sh so I did put in a fair bit of what I know in limnology and what I've experienced as a limnologist and as like I mentioned before as a 
someone who works with water and with the community in terms of water management and all those types of things. So um, the diary part, that comes through in the diary part. The diary part of the, the book written by the, the limnologist, she puts in her entries, every time she puts an entry in, she puts a quote in. And she quotes a quote that is related to what she's going to talk about, right? She uses a bit of irony there. And the quote comes from a textbook that she used when she taught at U of T. And the textbook is by Robert Wetzel. And anyone who's, who's a limnologist out there will understand that's the, the, the very best textbook on limnology <laughs> out there. <laughs> and, and so there's this real irony going on. So she disseminates information. She's a real logical person. But like I mentioned before, she's also very flawed. So even though on the one hand, she's very logical, and she proselytizes away and, and says, this should be that, this should be that. In the meantime, she's doing all these other things that she doesn't even realize are really not in sync with what she says, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. She con contradicts herself. Okay. In other words, what she says and what she does are two different things. Mm -hmm. and, and so she's that kind of a complex character. And she does the... the interesting part is she doesn't really realize it but her daughter does so hence this tension between her and her daughter and her mother and how she relates to her mother who is a whole other personality so all these different characteristics of these different people come into play and there's this tension and pull between them and then how they in turn relate to water of course she's a limnologist so she studies water but uh, her daughter has a different relationship to water. It's more visceral. It's more spiritual. Her mother has a different relationship to water. It's more protected, more of a mother role, more instinctive. And then how they behave and interact with each other all comes through this water metaphor. Well, it's more, more than metaphor. It's its own character, as I mentioned before. I treat it like a character. And in fact, it is a character. So it comes into play as well in a very subtle way, particularly in the parts of the story that are before and after, which are in the far future with the uh, last character, Keo. Um, and that's where I'm going to read the beginning of the story. With, it's going to be with Keo, the young, a young water being, in fact. Ooh. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, because <laughs> really this is the story of humanity, uh, how we're changing how water is changing, how the planet is changing, and our evolution and the, and the greater evolution of the world. It's all tied in. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it's, it's this is stuff. exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> really anxious to get over to that. So where can people find and follow you? Uh, follow me and find me. Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm all over the internet. <laughs> um, Specifically, I have at least, oh, at least three good blogs. Uh, the Alien Next Door, that's a whole other story <laughs> that <laughs> matches up with the things we've said before. Um, then uh, there's one devoted to water and issues of water and the book, this book and other books, uh, The Meaning of Water. And then there's two other sites, ninamontiano.ca, which is all about my writing, and ninamontiano.me, which is all about my coaching because I help 
writers to publish and uh, publish successfully. Uh, you can also find me on Amazon, on Goodreads. I have uh, accounts there uh, on Inanna Publications, who is publishing this book. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Pinterest, I'm on Goodreads, and of course I have my own little spot on Amazon as well. So I don't know <laughs> if I left anything out. <laughs> <laughs> if you Google my name, like I said before, uh, well, this was before we started recording, my name is fairly unique. <laughs> I used to think it was unique, <laughs> but it's just fairly unique now. But if you email, you know, it's, I'm not like John Smith. If you went John Smith, you, you, you wouldn't find me, right? Right. <laughs> bazillion other John Smiths out there. But because I'm Nina Montiano, you're going to find me right away. So Google me. That's probably the best way to find, to find me is to Google me. All right. Well, of course, everybody can do that, or you can just click those links in the show notes. I will have links for all of that. So that way you can find her and pick up her books and check out everything, Nina Montiano. And uh, it's great. I, I love this. This is going to be exciting, and I cannot wait to hear more of this. Thank you so much for being such an incredible and wonderful guest, Nina. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. It was very enjoyable. She could go on for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside and hand the floor over to our guest, Nina Montiano, and her latest book, A Diary in the Age of Water. Thank you, Jason. So I'm going to start, like I mentioned before, I'm going to start with the beginning, the first chapter. And it starts off with a water being in the far future. It's called The Library. Keo runs through the dying forest of the north, the last boreal forest in the world. The rain earlier this morning left the forest dripping with living moisture and saturated the air with a scent of giant conifers. Their fragrance is intoxicating, a fresh pungency that lingers like the smell of fresh water. The giant buttress trees rise like pillars out of soggy ground. They push past the mixed hardwood canopy and pierce the mist, announcing the future. Lichen drips off branches and clothes the fibrous trunks in crenulated patterns. Moss covers everything. A filigree of green, silver, and russet plays in the breeze, dancing like a wild shadow. Tugged by the wind, Keo's hair flows behind her like a dark, turbulent river as she leaps over roughed ground, her skirt flying. Her four dark blue arms stretch out for balance as she navigates the obstacle course of fallen trees, tall ferns, and horsetails. Already high in the sky, the sun is a large, blushing orb that bathes everything in hues of pink. Nam calls it Gaia's heart light a poem to heaven. Nam told her that the light was very different during the age of water, when the sun was sharper and shone brashly in a brilliant cerulean blue sky. Keo imagines the sky, the startling blue color of Nam's winking eyes. Nam, like Keo's other mentors, only has two arms and flesh the color of the sand, not the electric blue of Keo's own skin. Despite their differences, she thinks of Nam like a mother and secretly wishes she looked like her older mentor. 
Keela stops for a moment to catch her breath and listen to the forest. Cardinals, robins, and thrushes warble and flute loudly, as if complaining about destiny. Yet they are the interlopers. According to Mio, they took up permanent residence in the north when the climate warmed during the age of water. The bird symphony flows through Kyo, pulsing with the Earth's heartbeat. Kyo runs on, gathering coherent waves of vibration, intent, and motion into one continuous and harmonious rhythm. She understands that rhythm embraces a fractal continuum that ranges from microscopic to cosmic proportions. Cell division aligns with the planet's circadian rhythms. Bees synchronize their flight with the phase of the moon. Planets and stars exert gravity and frequency on each other, resonating with the harmonic music of the spheres. Her world flows in constant oscillation from high to low, particle to wave, dark to light, separating and uniting, creating and destroying, and back again all through water. It is then that she feels her sisters the most, the other Kios, other blue beings like her, scattered over the world in small enclaves like hers. Each whispers a harmonic tone in a soft symphony of wisdom. Frequencies from all over the world carried on the coherent domain of water vapor to resonate through her interstitial water. They are waiting for her. She shares their eagerness for the exodus, but she also harbors a secret yearning for the past, as though some hidden part of her has lodged there, like a tendril of a vine reaching across time, seeking resolution, redemption even. What is holding her back in this drowning forest? It isn't the trees. There's always sadness in the end of things, but endings are also beginnings, Keo of Siberia whispers across the northern atmospheric river. We do not feel this Canadian sadness, Keo's from Scandinavia chime in. Perhaps that part of us still clings to the mundane comfort of familiarity, given that the maple still stands strong in northern Canada. But Keo knows that's not true. The sugar maple has been migrating north, scrambling to keep up with the beach. And realizing the native legend, several are stunted with holding the sap Keo loves so much. Many are yellowing at the tips of their leaves and showing bare, insect-infested crowns. Soon the maple will drown in the swamps of the north. Keo understands that she is holding her sisters back with this selfish sentiment and preoccupation with a past and a people she's only dreamed of. How is it that she alone stands apart from the rest? It's not her lack of adventure or faith. She embraces the preacher. Nam calls her sprite, an endearment, she knows, but one based on Keo's curiosity and yearning for adventure. If her mentor knew of Keo's perverse and guilty obsession, she might call her something else, and certainly not with a wink. Keo involuntarily swallows down the truth and sits on a moss-covered boulder. She knows that her reluctance to leave has to do with the villainous water twins, 
who destroyed humanity because of their hatred for their own kind. She feels an unreasonable longing, as though a cord were tugging her back to them. The water twins were the first ones, the only ones from the water age, who had the power to instruct water. And they did so long before the new children of the forest learned how. The twins unleashed a wrathful Gaia with her alien technology, frequency generators, and shamanic potions. Keo has dreamed about most of it. Mio and Ho confirmed her vivid dreams with their historical documents. Why is she being plagued by accurate dreams of a time she's never experienced? Keo is convinced that the water twins somehow spawned the children of the forest, those like her. If not for the twins, she might be normal like the others. It is an outrageous supposition, yet she cannot shake it. The twins destroyed the world, after all, like Shiva and Kali. The twins didn't look like the children of the forest, who came much later, after humanity had been all but extinguished. It's impossible that the twins could have connected to her. Yet that is exactly how Kyo feels. She desperately wants to believe that the water twins somehow did the right thing in causing the storms and eliminating humanity from the planet. She keeps dreaming that she's there with the humans, suffering as they suffered, until only a handful of females remained. Mio, who is far too forgiving, once suggested that the twins did it to heal both the planet and all life, like a doctor removes a festering limb to heal the body. But how can you heal with hatred and destruction, and why is it so important to Kyo? She stands up with a shrug, no matter. Today is the day she has been both dreading and anticipating for so long. Today she will finally learn some ecological history and make her personal atonement to Gaia, who must prepare for a new age. And then she, Kyo, will transcend her current existence to make the exodus. Nam instructed her this morning to go to the Age of Water library in the small beech maple grove for her last lesson. Nam has been like a mentor, like a mother to Kyo tall and elegant, with wise maternal eyes the color of deep water, and carrying the scent and air of nature. It is time to let go, said her mentor. Time to devote yourself to and fuse your life with the mystic law of water. Time to learn about humanity's legacy, all that humans have learned and done to prepare for their journey with water, a journey that will ultimately take them all home. At the library, Keo is meant to choose a work, or else be given one by Ho, the librarian. Keo will then commit it to memory before burning it and offering it to the waterkeeping ceremony, which will prepare them all for their final journey. Keo hopes she will be worthy of her choice. The door of the sacred library beckons through the dying sugar maple stand. It is a solid maple doorway embedded in a hillside covered in shrubs, fern, and moss. It's hardly visible, except to one who knows where to look. 
Kyo approaches the solid door. She knows which book she wishes to study. It is clearly ambitious. Ho will be cross with her for presuming such an undertaking. The textbook is over a thousand pages. It will take her at least six months to learn it. Confident that she will convince the old librarian, Kyo glances back at the forest of her birth and pulls in a deep breath, committing it to memory. Then she reefs open the heavy door and enters the place she will spend the rest of her life on earth. Oh my goodness. That was Nina Montiano reading, like I said, a magical and hypnotic sample chapter from her newest novel, A Diary in the Age of Water. Make sure you are clicking the link in the show notes for more about Nina and where to follow her on social media, pick up her books, and follow her blogs. Don't forget to also click in there for our sponsor and podcast friends alike and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out later this week when we are back with return guest lucas mangum Uh, it's going to be our bonus episode for the month it's going to be coming up soon so we'll see you again in a few days take care everybody this has been a presentation of the project entertainment network